Alright, we are starting a new little mini-series, we'll call it, in the book of John. We're going to be in John chapter 2 today. John chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible, there are some in the pews, and we're also going to pop it up on the screen here in just a second whenever I get ready to read. But we're uh, in John chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to be going through uh, the book of John, and we're going to be looking at some of the miracles of Jesus in the book of John. And so uh, we're just going to go through them in order as they, as they come to us in the book of John. And the first one that we're going to look at today is we're going to look at the miracle or the sign, as some uh, Bibles may refer to it, uh, as Jesus turning water into wine. Now some of you may have heard this story before and some of you may have not. If you have not, it's okay. Good news, we're going to get to talk about it a little bit today. But it's important for us, I think, to go through and look at the miracles Jesus did and know that what we see in God's Word is just scratching the surface. We don't have every single thing recorded that Jesus did. We only have a very few things. A lot of the things that we see in the first four books of, of the New Testament, we call them the Gospels, the Gospel according to Matthew, the Gospel according to Mark, the Gospel according to Luke, and the Gospel according to John. They all cover the life of Jesus, and some of them, some of their, their stories and things that they talk about kind of overlap, and some are different things and different ones, but we only see very little bit of what Jesus did in his short ministry. Now, Jesus really only had about three years that he was in ministry. The Bible picks up Jesus was probably, we don't know this, but he was probably around 30 years old. And it was just a brief period of time that Jesus really came out and, and, and began to do his work and began to kind of let people know that he was the Son of God. And he didn't come right out, uh, uh, right out of the gate, blowing a trumpet, saying, "Here I am, the Son of God. Everybody, come down and worship me." Jesus was kind of on the down low. He kind of kept everything uh, a secret, if we can use that word. I don't know if that's the best word to describe it. But he didn't really make a big to do about these healings that he did. It's not uncommon for us to see Jesus do a miracle and tell everybody, "Look, don't don't make a big deal about it." Uh, and so that's not an uncommon thing. Jesus would say on multiple uh, occasions throughout the Gospels, he would say, look, my time has not yet come. And he was referring to that time that he would give his life, that time that he was going to go into Jerusalem, and it was going to be made known for sure among everyone that he was God's son. And that time would come, but up until that time came, Jesus did lots of miracles and kind of kept it on the down low. Now, as you can imagine, there were always lots of people following Jesus. Why? Because as we look at these miracles, we are going to see that there was some pretty pretty awesome stuff that Jesus was doing. I mean, he's healing sick people. He's bringing people back from the dead. Are you kidding me? So you can imagine, if you heard all of a sudden today uh, the news that somebody had been brought back from the dead, you'd say, who done it? If we heard people who were dying of cancer, people who could not see, people who could not hear, people who could not walk, and all of a sudden a man came and touched them or did something to them and they were able to walk instantaneously, we would go find that woman, uh, excuse me, we'd go find that man out because guess what? We all got things that we're struggling with. We'd say, I want to find that guy. I want to be healed of this. I want to be healed of that. I want to be made clean. I want to be made pure. I want to be made well. And so we can understand the excitement 
that people had as they saw Jesus doing these miracles, as they heard about these things. Now, they didn't have Twitter and Facebook like we do. If somebody did a miracle in Liberty, Mississippi right now, within about seven minutes, the whole world would know about it. Because we got Facebook and Twitter. In those days, they didn't have that. But I'd be willing to say that word spread pretty quick. Because this was a, this was a, a once-in-a-lifetime thing. That the Son of God would come and walk on this earth with sinners and would heal them and would preach and teach them and love on them and have compassion on them. That was a, that was a, a once-in-a-lifetime thing. That's pretty intense for those people that got to live and be part of that. It's pretty awesome to think about. And so this, this miracle that we're going to look at today, it, it, it may not have been the first miracle that Jesus did, but it's the first one that we see in the text. It's the first one that we see in the book of John, and, and, and very likely the first miracle that Jesus did uh, amongst other people where they could see what was going on. So, John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, They don't have any wine. What has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief servant. And they did. When the chief servant tasted the water, after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, he called the groom and told him, Everyone sets out the fine wine first, then, after people have drunk freely, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus performed this first sign in Cana of Galilee. He displayed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray. God, we come to you today and we thank you for this good word and I pray that you would help us to, to get something out of it, dear Lord. There is so much uh, that can be taken from your word here, so I pray that you would just help me to concentrate today, dear Lord. Help me just to seek you and trust you, God, and hear clearly from you to, to be able to preach what is going to be beneficial for each one that's here, dear Lord. I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. I pray that you would open each one here, that you would open all of our ears and open our heart that we would hear from your word, and I pray that, that we just would get it today. And so I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 says, On the third day. Now, I don't know what really that's on the third day of. I kind of look back in the text. It could have been on the third day after he got to the place that he was at. I'm not really sure what that was the third day of. I don't think that that necessarily has a whole lot of significance. But if I ever find out later on that it does, I'll let you guys know. So I don't know that the, that the day necessarily has a whole lot of significance there. But on the third day, what does have significance is they went to a place where there was a wedding. Now, we've all probably, I would assume, been to a wedding right? It's a big deal. It's usually a big deal. Like 
Like I'm talking about like crazy. I'm talking about fruit trays inside of this world, uh, buffet lines of food, uh, chocolate water fountains. I mean, I'm talking about anything you want. You've been to them weddings before. It's a big deal. And it's exciting. It's an exciting time. People are getting married. People are coming. You want to celebrate. It's super fun. So you're sitting around. You're happy for the couple that got married. You're eating your food. You're drinking your drinks. Everything is all good. Everything is great. So we can kind of understand the setting of what has taken place here in this story. Jesus and his disciples and his mother, along with probably a lot of other people, were there at this wedding and they were having this celebration. It says, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. What has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Now, those are some verses we gotta, we got to look at and talk about for a second. Because on the surface, this whole exchange between Mary and Jesus here, it would seem as though Jesus was being very disrespectful to his mother here. But that's not at all what was taking place. What was taking place here, as I think even from this point, Jesus had started his ministry and he was beginning to make a distinction here. He was beginning to get Mary ready. He wasn't referring to her saying like, woman, what's that got to do with me? That was not what he was saying at all. Now, if we said that, if we said it in a disrespectful way, which usually is the only time we say woman, is we're being disrespectful. But what Jesus was doing is he was kind of setting the tone here. He was, he was kind of separating himself from his mother, letting her know, look, I'm not just your son, but also I am the son of God. He was beginning to kind of, I think, shift her focus on this miracle that he was about to do and on the mission that was about to come, uh, to come up was exactly who he was and he was the son of God and these things that he he was going to do, all this power that he had was for the glory of God. And so Mary asked Jesus, hey look, the wine's run out, what are you going to do about it? Now I don't know about you guys, but that seems kind of like an odd request. Why in the world would Mary even ask that of Jesus? It makes me wonder, had Jesus done something similar before? Maybe so. The Bible doesn't say yes or no. That's one of those things that it, it, it makes me question. It makes me wonder, why in the world would, would Mary have even asked Jesus to do this to start with? We don't know the reason, but for whatever reason, Mary believed in her heart that Jesus could fix this situation. She might have not knew how he was going to do it, but she knew that he was going to do it. And so she asked him to do it, and he says, Look, what does this have to do with me? He goes on to say a little further, do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. So she says, do it. He says, look, what's this got to do with me? My time hadn't come. And it's like she didn't even hear him. He tells, she tells the servants, hey, go ahead and just do whatever he tells you to do. Now, there's something that, that I want to make sure that we don't, uh, we don't mistake about this text because somebody has told me this before and I want to make sure that we don't fall into this mistake. We don't want to take this text out of, text out of context. This text is in no way implying to us that Jesus has some kind of control over Jesus, both in this life or in eternal life. 
Now you say, well, I didn't see that in the text. Well, I don't see that in the text either, but it is confusing to some people because I've had someone argue with me before that we should pray to Mary, and here is the text that they use. Because Mary has some control over Jesus, and Mary can get Jesus to do things even if he doesn't want to do it. That is not what the text says here. That is in no way what the text says. The Bible never tells us that we should pray to Mary. The Bible never tells us that Mary has some kind of power over Jesus and that she can somehow kind of give him an elbow and say, Come on, son, I know you don't want to, but I'm your mom. You've got to do what I'm saying. That is not what's taking place here. And so if you have been taught that or if somebody has told you that, that is not true. This is not a proof text to say that Mary has control over Jesus and that we should somehow pray to Mary. What this is a text that is saying, well, we're going to see exactly what it's saying here in just a second. So, Mary, Jesus says, look, what's this got to do with me, woman? Now, that wasn't, a, that wasn't a term of disrespect. Jesus used that same term, guess where he used it at? When he was on the cross. He was dying on the cross, and he looked down at Mary, and he was talking about Mary and the disciple that he loved, and he looked at Mary, and he said, woman, this is your son. He was saying, look, mom, this disciple that I love is going to take care of you. And he looked at the disciple and he said, Look, disciple, this woman right here is going to be your mother. And so Jesus uses the term woman on a few different occasions, or at least those two different occasions in the text. And, and neither is a derogatory thing. He's not being disrespectful to his mother. That was just a phrase that would have been used in that day. And again, I think Jesus was making a separation, kind of making a distinction between who he was and what his mission was there. All right. Now six stone jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. All right, so we're getting the scene set here. Jesus said, what do I need to do it for? Mary said, told the servants, do whatever he tells you. And so we're kind of, the, 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 the uh, scene is shifting here. What we begin to see is we're introduced to some new elements of the story, and that are these six big stone water jugs. Now, your, your translation may say uh, something different than 20 or 30 gallons, but that's about what it come up to. We'll, we'll say 25 gallons. We'll meet in the middle. But that would have been about what, that, uh, what those jars would have held in that day and age. And those jars that we're talking about here were jars that were used for purification that the people would use to kind of wash up before they eat. Now that was a very big thing. That was a very important thing for the people of that day. We see that the Pharisees addressed Jesus' disciples for this very reason, because they didn't clean before they ate. I believe that's in Matthew chapter 15. You can read about that some other time. So that was something that was important for the people. So it wasn't uncommon to have these big jars, these big containers there, for them to have water in to be able to wash themselves. And that's what the purpose of these things were here for. And so uh, Mary uh, tells the servants to help and to do whatever he says. And so we have the jars that are sitting there. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them, so they fill them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief servant. And they did. So we're talking about probably around 150 gallons of water. Now, from the text, it's kind of confusing to know maybe there was some water already in there and they were topping them off. Maybe they were empty and they were filling them up. If they were filling them things up, that was a lot of work that the servants had to do. It's not like they could run over there and get the hose and turn the knob on. They had to go draw the water. And so this probably took some time for them to get the water. And not only that, but can you believe that Jesus is using the jars that the people would wash in 
and they're filling them up with water. And then, lo and behold, this is what he says to do. He says, I want you to dip some out, he tells the servants, and I want you to take it over to the chief servant. Now, we could breeze through that and we wouldn't really think too much about it, but let's think about that for a second. You're a servant. You're there to serve the people of the party. Your job is to make sure they're happy. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen these people at weddings that walk around, make sure you got plenty of drink, make sure you get plenty of food. This is their guys. This is these guys' jobs. And Jesus, he done put some water in some dirty old washing jars, and he says, dip it out and take it over there to your boss and let him drink it. Now, can you imagine what in the world they were thinking? Here they're going to have to take this, this cup of dirty water over to their chief servant, their boss, and drink it. They were probably shaking. They were probably thinking, are you sure, Jesus? I mean, we'll never get another wedding gig again if we do this. Who knows what they were thinking? The Bible doesn't tell us, but I can imagine they were probably pretty scared. They may not have been. They may have realized, hey, this guy, Jesus, he is something special. I don't care what he says. I'm going to do it. But they did it. They did exactly what Jesus said. They did exactly what he said. When the chief servant tasted the water, after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, Everyone sets out the fine wine first, then after people have drunk freely the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. I wonder when, the, when, it, when it took place. You know, when the water turned to wine. Was it when it touched his lips? Was it somewhere between when they poured it into the cup and, and they walked it over to him? The Bible doesn't tell us, but what the Bible does tell us is what Jesus made here was phenomenal. Now, I'm not a wine drinker. Some of you may be. You may be wine connoisseurs. I don't know much about wine. But I can imagine that this is probably the best wine that has ever been made in the history of the world. Because Jesus Christ himself made it. Now, another thing we want to be careful of here is we don't want to use this as a proof text to say, let's all go out and get drunk. After all, Jesus made wine. Some people say that. The Bible clearly says it's wrong to get drunk. The Bible doesn't say it's wrong to drink. It's okay to drink wine. But the Bible does say it's wrong to get drunk. And we don't want to use this as a proof text to say we can go out and drink all the wine we want to drink because Jesus made wine. That's not what the text here is saying at all. But there are a few things that we can learn from this text. There are a few things that we can learn from this text. The first of which is Mary's response to the servants. Now you and I are servants of Jesus Christ. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we come to church, we go out into the world, we do what God's Word commands us to do. Why? Because we are servants of Jesus Christ. It's not that we are slaves and Jesus has beaten us with a whip and He commands us to come here every, every week and He commands us to go out and do this and go out and do that and if you don't do it, I'm going to whip you some more. That's not it at all. Jesus doesn't treat us like slaves. He does command us to go out and do His work, but we come here not as slaves. We come here as servants. We willingly come to serve the Lord. We willingly go out and serve the Lord because He is hard on us and mean to us. Not at all, because He is gracious and merciful to us, because He loves us. So we go out and we do God's works. We are God's servants. And Mary tells the servants in this story, she says, do whatever He tells you to do. Now that's good advice for you and I. That's good advice for us. Do whatever Jesus tells us to do. 
Because what was about to take place here was about to be a miracle. Something miraculous was going to happen. Something just amazing that is unimaginable was about to take place. But that never would have took place if the servants wouldn't have done what Jesus told them to do. It's the same for you and I. Jesus commands us through God's Word what we should do. Jesus leads us by the Holy Spirit in what we should do. Sometimes, though, we don't do it. Sometimes we know what we should do, but we just don't do it. And that's tough because there's like this, this battle, right, that's just raging on because like you know in your mind and your heart, you're like, ah, I shouldn't think this, I shouldn't do this, I should do this instead or that instead. And it's kind of like this struggle that's always going on, right, because we know what we should do, we know what Jesus commands us to do, but we don't always do it. And it's not that the Lord won't forgive us of that. If we realize that and we've done that, that we need to repent, we need to ask God to forgive us, and we need to try to listen to Him next time. It's not that God won't forgive us when we do that, but we may be missing out on a blessing. It may be that God has called us to something and commanded us to something, and by not doing it, we're not doing what He wants us to do, and therefore His will is not being done because we are not being obedient to what He calls us to. So we need to listen to what Mary said here. We need to remember that we are servants of the Lord and that there may be times that, that Jesus can work through us if we are obedient to do what He says for us to do. There's another thing that we notice in this text. Another thing that we notice is that Jesus didn't use the cleanest and most beautiful uh, jars and cups and things like that to put this wine, this water into Jesus used the jars that they washed with. He used what would have been considered dirty. He used probably the last thing that anybody would have thought about using. I don't know if any of you guys ever watched Indiana Jones. It's the last, last one of the trilogy. I don't know what it's called. But he goes in there and he's got to find that cup that Jesus drunk. And supposedly if he drinks from it, he's going to get lift forever and ever and ever. And he goes in and the other guy snuck in there with him. You know, it was a big deal. It's a good movie. Go watch it. I won't tell you. Anyway, I'm finna tell you the end though. So close your ears if you don't want a spoiler. It's been out for 30 years. If you ain't watched it yet, then I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. But what happened is the other guy goes in and he's trying to pick the cup that he thought Jesus would have used. Now Jesus king of king, lord of lords, right? And he goes through and he picks the most beautiful golden cup and he dips it down in the water and he drinks it and he dies right there. And there's old Indiana Jones. He's looking. His cup's everywhere. He's looking around and he looks and he goes and he finds the ugliest and just worst looking nasty old cup and he dips it in there and he drinks it and guess what? That was the cup. You see, Jesus did something similar here. Jesus could have used the best of the best. He could have used gold bowls if he'd have wanted to. But instead, he said, look, this is the way I want to do it. I want to put it in these nasty old jars. You know, sometimes you know, that's, what, that's what the Lord does with us. The Lord uses us nasty old sinners to accomplish what he has in store. We might not be the first choice in some people's eyes, but Jesus doesn't pick us because we're the best of the best. He picks us because we pick Him. When we pick Him, He picks us. He's already picked us. All we got to do is pick Him, and we are the ones that He wants to use. And I'll tell you this, sometimes we may not understand what Jesus is calling us to. We may not understand how Jesus wants to use us and why He wants to use us in the way that He does. I wonder about these servants. I wonder what they were thinking when, they, when Jesus told them, go get them nasty old pots. 
probably the same thing some of us think when Jesus tells us to go do something. And we say, really, Lord? Like, are you sure? Like, are you sure you want me to go preach Jesus to that person? You want me to go to that part of town? You want me to go across those tracks? You want me to go to that person or that person? You want me to say what, Lord? We do the same thing, right? Sometimes Jesus calls us to do things, and we don't understand on the surface. We're like, surely that's not the way that, 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 that the Lord wants it done. But we know in God's Word that the Lord's ways are much higher than our ways, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so God may be placing you somewhere, and He may call, be calling you to do something, and it may not be making any sense to you, but if God called you to do it, you better do it. Whether, you, whether it makes sense to you or not, God knows what He is doing. And sometimes, I'm guilty of this, I'll know what I think God's telling me to do, but then I'll reason with myself and justify, well, that can't be right. Surely if I did it this way, it would work better. And guess what always happens? My way never works better. Not one single time. You know what always works perfect, though? Is when I do exactly what God called me to do. It's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. I'm not always super excited about it. But when I do what God calls me to, everything works out. When I don't do what God calls me to, guess what? I find myself in a lot of trouble. You want a good Bible story about that? Go home, open your Bible to the book of Jonah. It's a good story. God told Jonah to do something. Jonah said, I ain't going to do it. God got a hold of him. Guess what? Jonah went and did it, and guess what? Everything worked out good, just like God had said. So we want to make careful, uh, be careful that we don't fall into that, 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 that thought that, well, surely God must have got it wrong. Sometimes God uses what's not obvious to the human eye to accomplish what He wants to accomplish. Verse 11. Jesus performed this first sign in Cana of Galilee. He displayed His glory and His disciples believed in Him. I think that's why Jesus did this. I don't, the text doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, all right, Mom, I'm going to do what you're asking me to do, and here's why. We don't get that from Jesus. We don't know exactly why He did it. But I, here's what I think. I think Jesus did this for His disciples, for those servants that saw, for His disciples that saw what was going on, because He had just started His ministry. He had just got these disciples, and now all of a sudden, they see this guy. They've already trusted in Him. They already believe He is who He says He is, and now He has just taken water, and He has turned it into wine. Boy, I bet you that had an effect on the disciples. It should have an effect on us. When we see God do a mighty work in our life, when we see God answer prayers, when we see miracles take place, and you say, we don't see any miracles today. Well, we might not see people turning water into wine, but we see miracles all the time. We see people who are healed, and then we refuse to give God the credit. Well, it must have been the doctors. They must have not been sick. We do that kind of stuff sometimes. But we see miracles all the time. It's a miracle to me that we can all sit in this church and love each other and get along and have the freedom to come in and worship the Lord. That is, that is pretty outstanding for me to think about. And we should be excited about it. I wonder what the response and the reaction of the disciples would have been when they saw this. I don't know what it was, but I bet you they said, Whoa, this, this man is who He says He is. You see, Jesus can take what is ordinary and He can make it into something spectacular. He can take what is ordinary and He can make it into something 
extraordinary. And He can do the same thing for you and I. He can do the same thing for each one of us in here. I mean, some of us in here may be plain old water, so to speak. But God can take our plain old water selves and He can make us into something this sweet, something that is wonderful, something that can be useful for His glory. You see, all this stuff that Jesus did here, it was for the glory of Father, uh, the Father. It was so that people could know that Jesus was who He says He was so that we could glorify the Father. That's why Jesus did those miracles. It was to help the people, but it was always pointing toward the Father. It was always pointing toward that He was the way. It was always letting us know that He is the one who can heal us. He is the one who can make that change. He can take you from something ordinary and He can make you into something special. He can take you from your sinfulness and He can forgive you. He can forgive you of whatever sins that you've committed. You say, well, I've done too many bad things. Jesus died on the cross so that He could forgive you of those things. But you have to come to Him. You have to make that decision. You have to make that decision to say, I am going to be a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm going to be a faithful servant. I'm going to be an obedient service. I'm going to believe that Jesus was who He says He was. I'm going to believe that Jesus did what He did. I'm going to believe when the Bible says He rose from the grave and says He's coming back. I'm going to believe that and I'm going to be a faithful servant. But you have to make that choice. You have to make that decision. There are plenty of people in this world that say, I would believe in God if I could just see a miracle. No, you wouldn't. Maybe there's some of you in this room that's saying that right now. I don't know about all this mumbo-jumbo. I've been going to church, but I'd believe in God if I saw a miracle. No, you wouldn't. The Bible's full of them. If you ain't going to believe them in this book, you're not going to believe them if Jesus does them. You say, well, I would too. No, you wouldn't. Because I know you wouldn't because the Bible shows uh, tons of people who saw Jesus do His ministry for three years, who saw Him heal people, who heard the stories of Him bringing people from the dead and saw all the good works that Jesus did. And you know what they did? They nailed Him to a cross and said, if you're God's Son, then show us. Do something miraculous. Come off that cross. Then we'll believe you. They wouldn't believe Him. They had seen His miracles for years and they didn't believe Him. So God has given us everything we need. God has not left us to ourselves to figure it out on our own. He gave us His Son, Jesus Christ, and He gave us His Word to tell us about His Son, Jesus Christ, and that's all we need. You either believe by faith or you reject Him. Those are the only two options that you have. But what I want you to do is I want you to believe by faith. I want you to accept Him. I want Him to take you, nasty, dirty old sinner, and I want Him to transform you. I want Him to change your life. I want Him to change your heart, and I want Him to come into you and make you a new man and a new woman because that is what He wants to do. And He can do it. The same Jesus who does all these miracles that we're going to look at over the next few weeks, the same Jesus that can turn water into wine is the same Jesus whose blood that was spilt and shed on the cross for you can forgive you of your sins. He can take all of your dirty sinfulness and He can make you as white as snow. Let's pray. God, I come to You this morning and I thank You for, for this good miracle that we see in Your Word. And I pray that you would help us not to skim over stories like this, God, because sometimes we do that if we're Christians and we've read your word a lot. We, we just kind of read through these things and we, maybe we miss the importance of, of some of these good stories. But help us to get it, Jesus. Help us to never, never forget the miracle that you did here, the importance of that. And God, thank you for just loving us enough to 
dying on the cross for us. Thank you for, for loving us enough to be able to clean us up, to be able to turn us from something, something ordinary, dear Lord, just nasty old sinners, to turn us into something beautiful. So I pray, dear Lord God, if there's one here today that does not know you, one who has not accepted you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would do so this morning. I pray that they would come down and that they would acknowledge who you are, that they would accept you, that they would ask you to be their Lord, to forgive their sins, that they would follow through with baptism, God, just as you command, and they would be part of your family, dear Lord. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.